Thank you, Dan and choir and congregation for our beautiful worship this morning. Indeed, as we will find out, he is worthy and he alone is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. Looking up, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In the movie City Slickers, three middle-aged big city executives go on vacation to the Dude Ranch out in the southwest. They sign up for a fun-filled cattle drive. They were totally out of their element there. You remember that tough trail boss, Curly, played by Jack Palance? He's talking to that confused and overworked Billy Crystal. Curly says, you city folks come up here every year, same age, same problems. It takes you 50 years to get a lot of knots in your rope and come down here and thinking two weeks will untie it. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret to life is? The secret to life, Curly holds up one finger. The secret to life is just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't matter. Just one thing. Crystal asks Curly, well, what's that one thing? Curly responds, that's what you've got to figure out, the one thing. In the church that I previously pastored, Meadowbrook Baptist Church, in my late 20s, they had an annual Easter pageant there in Waco as multiple worship services. And we had a gentleman of the church who portrayed the life of Christ as well as anyone I've ever seen. Months out, he would stop shaving, quit going to the barber, began to grow his hair and his beard. He had these very kind eyes. And he began to take on the appearance of Jesus for our Passion Week. His name was Greg Llewellyn. Greg was very realistic as the person of Jesus. Our first year in the pageant, now I was very nervous, Greg decided he wanted to do the ascension scene, the one we're preaching about today. Now this wasn't a stage theater, this was just a church auditorium, and well, we didn't have a lot of resources, and so I, I was pretty nervous, and there was no one there who was a drama or a stage expert, and how are we going to get Jesus to ascend up out of the sanctuary? Well, it made me, made me kind of nervous, but Greg was insistent, and he actually researched and made his own harness. He stitched it together, sewed it together himself. We didn't have the money to buy a harness from Hollywood, so he made his own harness, and believe it or not, we ascended Jesus using an old electric drill. We, he made, Jesus made the own pulley system. He made his own harness. He found an old electric drill. And right at the moment, the climax of the choral anthem, there was a guy in the back who knew when that note was hit, he squeezed the trigger on that old smoking drill, and up Jesus would go out of the sanctuary. And, man, it had to be timed just right. I was always afraid we were going to have a hanging of Jesus rather than an ascension of Jesus because there was no safety. When that drill was pulled, that guy couldn't see. That hoist was, was going up. 
Well, it was powerful because no one was expecting it. We, we'd never done anything like that before. Someone plugged in the fog machine like the cloud and axe, and the fog began to gather and rise up on Greg. And, well, they hit the drill, and, and, and lo and behold, perfectly, he ascended out of the sanctuary. And, and actually, even though I knew that the drill was back there and I knew the fog machine was plugged in, I was astonished every single time I saw it. I'm happy to say, due to multiple performances, we got a winch the second year because the drill was smoking and we got, got more afraid. It was a highlight of our, our passion pageant. But the ascension has not been the highlight of Christian theology, has it? When's the last time you heard a sermon preached about the ascension and the enthronement of Jesus? Crucifixion, yes. Resurrection, always and every Easter. But the ascension, the enthronement of Jesus has somehow been relegated to the footnotes. And it should not be so. The ascension, the enthronement is the empowerment, the re-glorification of the Christ when he is ascended and enthroned and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And only with this ascension and enthronement do we have that all-powerful, glorified Son of God that can return and his parousia, his return for the church, the day of the coming of his kingdom. Now we can be thankful to Luke that of the gospel writers, both at the end of his gospel, volume one, and the beginning of volume two, the book of Acts, here in Acts one, he talks about this glorious ascension of our Jesus. Luke spells it out. John alludes to it. John 3:13, Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven. But he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's telling you in John 3, he descended from heaven as a Bethlehem baby. And the Son of Man who descended from heaven will ascend back to heaven. That's John 3. Or in John 6, Jesus asked the disciples, What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. He's setting them up. Or in John 20, when Jesus has been resurrected and Mary of Magdala sees the resurrected Jesus and she grabs him and she clings to him. And Jesus says, do you remember? Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. See how important it was to him? But go tell the brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Those were the words of the resurrected Jesus. I am going to ascend to the Father from whom I came. The glorification of Jesus begins even when he's lifted up on the cross. The glorification of Jesus is in no way complete until we arrive to the text this morning with the ascension of Jesus back to the Father. There are a lot of references to the exaltation and the enthronement of Jesus from Paul, from Peter, from the author of Hebrews. Listen to Philippians 2.6. Jesus 
who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Therefore, here it is, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those who in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is, humbled, but that's not the end, exalted to the glory of God the Father. In Acts 7, 56, when Stephen is being stoned, do you remember that vision that Stephen has in Acts 7? Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man, where is he? Standing at the right hand of God. Yes, when Stephen sees Jesus post-resurrection, where is he? Enthroned, standing at the right hand of God Almighty. Or... In Acts 9 or Acts 22 or Acts 26, when Paul is on the road to Damascus and he sees Jesus, what is the image of Jesus that Paul sees? He's the bright glorification. He is a light that blinds Paul, enthroned, glorified, the light of heaven. 1 Peter 3.22 is not only Paul, but 1 Peter 3.22 Peter says, Jesus has gone into heaven. He has gone into heaven. Not just Paul or Peter, the author of Hebrews and Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 1, Hebrews 2. That Jesus has passed through the heavens. He is seated at the right hand of majesty. In Hebrews 2.8, all things are placed in subjection under his feet. Crucifixion, yes. Resurrection, praise God. But ascension, always. If you're taking notes this morning, it would go something like this. The ascension of Jesus is important because. The ascension of Jesus is important because, number one, is the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry. The ascension is important because it is the conclusion, the wrap-up, of Jesus' earthly ministry. The story of Jesus on earth doesn't end with the resurrection. That's kind of the way we've pictured it. That he's crucified the third day, the miracle of the resurrection, and then, then no more. But Jesus is not yet through with his earthly ministry until after the ascension. Look at uh, Acts one twenty-two. Here's the bookends of the ministry of Jesus. What do they say? The ministry of Jesus, Acts 1.22, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. There it is. The ministry of Jesus begins when John baptizes him and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the other bookend, if ministry begins at baptism, 
their earthly ministry ends at his ascension, when he is, notice the language, when he is taken up from us. Now, often we forget, look at verse 3, Acts 1-3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Sometimes we've totally forgotten about these 40 days, 40 days between resurrection and ascension. After the resurrection, he appears in a lot of people in a lot of places during this 40-day period. And what's he speaking about? The kingdom of God. He's about to be ascended and enthroned. He's about to lead the church. The Spirit is going to pour out on the people of God. And so they need to understand the message of the kingdom of God. That was his message before the crucifixion too, wasn't it? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. But even after the resurrection, now that they can see more clearly, he speaks about his kingdom and the coming of the Spirit. So first of all, the ascension, the enthronement is important because it is there that we end the earthly ministry of Jesus. Number two, it's important because it involves the exaltation of the Christ. All of our music this morning, how exalted the Christ was, how worthy and glorified he was. The ascension is important because it involves the exaltation of Christ. In Acts 2, 32, Peter is preaching and he says, This Jesus God raised up again to which we're all witnesses. Therefore, having been, here it is, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he has poured forth, this which you both see and hear. God has exalted him, crucified, resurrected, but don't forget, ascended, exalted. The humility of being born as a baby of Bethlehem. The humility of the humanity of God putting on flesh. But no longer humility of humanity, but now the exalted, glorified, resurrected, ascended, enthroned Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father. In John 17, Jesus speaks to the Father. Listen to these words. This is the Son speaking to the Father. I glorified you, God, on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Then verse 5. Now glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've been obedient I've done all that you've asked me to do. Now, Father, restore me to the glory, your glory, that I shared before the world ever was. The ascension and enthronement give you a completely different picture of Jesus of Nazareth. 
seated at the right hand of the Creator, co-creator with the Creator, enjoying the glory before anything exists, co-reigning with God. Humiliated before to the crying Bethlehem baby, thirsty, tired, beaten, bruised, but with the ascension, with the exaltation, with the enthronement, a return to glorious state right beside his father. In this exaltation of Jesus, we have the declaration that his power as enthronement, his power is over all of the universe. He is a cosmic ruler. Reflecting on Psalm 68 and Psalm 110 in Ephesians 1, Paul makes this echo. God raised him from the dead, Ephesians 1.20, and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. See the importance to Paul? Crucified, yes, resurrected always, but ascended, enthroned to the right hand of the Father. Far above all rule and authority, Ephesians 21, and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, he has put all things under subjection to the feet of Jesus. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all and all. What an image. Crucified, resurrected, and now, now ascended, enthroned at the right hand of the Father where he's been before the beginning of time. Changes image. A thirsty man who sits at the well and asks for a drink of water. A man who hungers for 40 days needs his feet washed. Now, all powers, all principalities, both in this age and the age to come, they are his footstool. That's how powerful he is. How have we missed this? So important to Luke. You put Luke and Acts together, that's the majority of the New Testament. So important to the, the writer Luke. So important to Paul. So important to Peter. So important to the, the writer of Hebrews. So important to John in his gospel and in his apocalypse revelation. Over and over again, the image of Jesus should not stop as a crucified man or even a resurrected man rather seated the right hand of the Father. The reality is that every image of Jesus after the ascension is different than any image of Jesus before the ascension. Let me say that again. Every image of Jesus after the ascension and enthronement is different than the images of Jesus in Scripture before that event. He is the one of the vision who's seated at the right hand of the Father. Stephen saw him in his place. He's a bright light on the road to Damascus who says, you're kicking against me, Paul. It's not going to work. He is glorified and enthroned. 
Well, look back at our text this morning, one night. How is he lifted up? And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. A cloud received him out of their sight. The cloud in the Old Testament is what? Is the presence of Yahweh. It is in the Torah above the tent of meeting to show them the cloud is the presence of God above the tent, meaning the glory of God is in the holy place. The cloud in the Old Testament is the presence of God. In Exodus 16, when God miraculously provides meat for the children of Israel, Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, and they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. Exodus 16, the cloud is the glory of Yahweh. You remember the transfiguration when Jesus is there with Peter, James, and John? And there's the appearance of Elijah and Moses. What happens? They disappear in a cloud. They are surrounded by the glory of God as they see Elijah and Moses. And they are afraid because they're engulfed by the cloud in Luke 9. The cloud is the presence of Yahweh, more specifically, the glory of Yahweh. And Jesus ascends, and even as he goes up, the Shekinah glory, the cloud of God, lifts him up into heaven. There's a third reason it's important. The ascension is important for our atonement. The ascension is important for our atonement. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4 and chapter 9 has the image this way, that after he is ascended and enthroned, that he walks into a temple not built with hands, and he offers there in the presence of the Father his own blood, not the blood of bulls or goats or lambs, but rather it is after his ascension he offers to the Father this blood that pays for all of our sins. He's a great high priest who knows our sorrows and our temptations, but he's the one who enters the holy place with his own blood in heaven. Our ascension is important for our atonement, for it allows the crucified and resurrected Jesus to enter the presence of God on our behalf for our atonement. Here's a fourth reason it's important. For by the ascension, the church is empowered by the Spirit of God. By the ascension, the church is empowered by the Spirit of God. He speaks to them that way, doesn't he, in this text? Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. It is necessary for the Son to ascend to the Father that the third member of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, could be poured forth on the church that the church may get the one thing right, the preaching of the kingdom of God. 
He put it this way in John 7. He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see that? The ascension is important that the Spirit can be poured out upon his people. In John 16, 7, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, if I do not ascend, the helper should not come to you. But if I ascend, if I go away, I will send him to you. The ascension of Jesus is important. The Spirit of God could be poured out upon the church. During his earthly ministry, Jesus' power, his influence was limited to one place at one time. And now when he ascends and he's enthroned at the right hand of God, he can pour forth the Spirit of God in their congregations all over this morning on this resurrection day, worshiping in the power of the Spirit because it's not one place now. It is everywhere that men and women say, Jesus is Lord, that the Spirit dwells. I go away. I need to go away so that you can have the Spirit. Number five, the ascension is important for our future. The ascension is important for our future. It proclaims the glory of Christ. And yet his victory is not fully present until he returns and puts all authorities and all powers and all principalities under his feet. Acts 1.11, look what it says. And they also said, these are the angels speaking, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Even as he ascends, quit looking up. The day will come. He'll return in the glory, the cloud again, glory of the Father. Matthew 24 says it this way. The Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming and the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory. There it is. Just like he ascended in the Shekinah, the cloud, the glory of the Father, he will one day return and all the tribes who tried to, to dwell here without him will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with all power and great glory. Yes, the ascension and enthronement is important because he comes again, not as a Bethlehem baby, but for every knee to bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. Last one. The ascension is important for us to do our mission. The ascension is important for us to do our mission. The Holy Spirit has come to you, he says. And after the Spirit comes to you, you're waiting, and then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to preach the kingdom of God right here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. Notice what they're doing. They're cloud-gazing. 
They're looking up. I mean, I guess I would have been too. You just watched your Lord. You followed for three years. You've seen him crucified and resurrected. And then in this cloud, he's engulfed and he ascends. And they just keep staring. What's next? Those two angelic beings say, quit looking up. He'll come back one day just like he left. But in the meantime, you are to be preaching the gospel. Get busy reaching all of humanity with the message of the Christ. I wish the church could hear that today. Quit trying to set times and dates and epics and putting the prophecy together with the newspaper. Quit, quit gazing that way. But be busy about your mission. During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. It was May the 19th, 1780. It was one of those days when the sky was dark and all different colors. It was ominous, and those in who saw the Hartford sky were sure that this was the day that Christ was returning, and they said to Colonel Davenport, they need an immediate dismissal of the House of Representatives. And, well, he quieted the clamor in the House, and this is what Colonel Davenport said. The day of judgment is either approaching today or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. But if it is... I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, bring in the candles. We're going to meet. If it is the day of judgment, what better thing to be found than doing your duty? Stop looking up. Look out, church, to the mission. You've been empowered by the Spirit, by the ascension to give. Crucifixion, yes. Resurrection changes everything. But don't forget the ascension and the enthronement to the right hand of the Father. Don't see Jesus anymore as a Bethlehem baby, a rabbi with a back that's broken and beaten. Don't see him as thirsty or hungry or tempted or tried. See him enthroned, seated right beside the Father. Co-creator, co-reigner, already carried his blood to the Father on your behalf, awaiting that command for the Father to come back for his bride, the church, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the one thing that matters. Jesus is Lord. Curly was right. Only one thing matters. And that is to say on this side, Jesus is Lord. Let us pray. Oh, God, forgive us when we make Jesus too little. When we forget the end of the story, 
He's no longer wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's wearing the garment of the clouds. Every creature in heaven has gathered to say, holy, holy, holy. Holy is a lamb that was slain. And now enthroned by the Father. Perhaps there's someone here this morning or someone watching by way of television that this would be her day, his day to say those words, that one thing that matters, Jesus is Lord. He created me. He saved me. He died for me. He was resurrected for me. He was enthroned that I may be under his rule. In the name of the one who's seated right beside you, O God, we pray. Amen.